Welcome to the B-Sides and Beers podcast. Okay, I'm recording. I think we got action, yep. Okay. Let's, Hello. Let's start off. Let's start off with a little of this. Oh, that's a spike. Here we go. So, what do we what do we got going on here with uh, with uh, with our beers and bevies of choice? Uh, there's um, no no free ads, but I'm drinking. Um, they'll, they'll pay us later. They'll pay us later. Yeah, no, I, I'm drinking Pink Whitney. The Ooh. new apps, new Amsterdam vodka, which is mixed with uh, just bubbles. Uh, Pretty pink beverage. It is. It is. Looks it's, delicious. It tastes good. It tastes really good. So yeah, no, I didn't. I couldn't crack a beer like you guys make those make the sound. I couldn't do that when you guys did that. So next next time we'll we'll you can you can do the, we'll the switch the, it up. You can do the cap sound where you like rattle the cap off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was it was kind of like snap crackle pop like with the with the bubbles but <laughs> That's actually a really nice combination. I had some red wine and buble last night. Oh yeah. How is it's that? Like, it's delicious. Just like the cherry bubbly whatever. Yeah. Like carbonated water and I just mix it with ice and some red wine. Yeah. And just like after a walk with the dog and Kira just Sit down, have a drink. Great. It doesn't taste like watered down wine, like it. No, it tastes like. Uh, I, when I was a kid, I used to drink a lot of like cranberry juice with water mixed in in it. Yeah. So that kind of yeah. reminded me of that. But yeah. yeah, that was great. And what are you drinking right now? Okay, so I got a, a backcountry. It's called a Trailbreaker Pale Ale. And uh, I think where's that? Where's that brewed? They are out of uh, Squamish, Squamish. Yeah. <laughs> Shopping local. Yep, yep, that's right. Right. And Michael? Got it. I've got myself a wonderful uh, budget caribou honey brown. <laughs> nice. <laughs> also, also in the BC area of Prince George. Absolutely. Yeah, we'll take that. How do you rank that? Sweet- how do you rank that in the Sleeman Honey Brown and the Weasel Honey Brown? I I, I guess I would say it's middle of the road. Yeah. Between yeah. between the two, it's uh, it's not bad. It's uh, it's a nice price range, so we'll do that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Caribou's got some pretty sweet hats. Mm-hmm. When you buy like a case, sometimes you can get like a free Caribou trucker hat. It's pretty. pretty yeah, nice. I've seen those. I haven't seen, I haven't seen those around lately. Huh. It's like the lucky logger, like, the, but you can get it in different flavors, almost. <laughs> <laughs> it kind of seems like that. I don't know. Quality. Yeah. So let's uh, let's dive into this uh, this Corey Hart versus Brian Adams or whatever you want to call it. Um, I don't know about you guys, but I found a ton of stuff that kind of all just came full circle a couple times and it kind of blew my mind. So, you know, yeah, there's a bunch of stuff on here that 
Yeah, more about Corey Hart though. Like I found more yeah. more about that guy than I did Brian Adams, which is kind of strange because I thought I'd be nothing but Brian Adams all day. But to be yeah. honest, to be honest with you, not to put like a subjective opinion on it, there was much more on Brian Adams on his Wikipedia, but it's just too much. I got bored reading it. Corey yeah. Hart's was like, okay, this is interesting. This guy is like super talented. And like Brian Adams just seemed all over the place for me. Right. Well, he's, he was in bigger markets and that's kind of where, you know, he, he just kind of had more angles over the decades. Right. So, okay. Yeah. Well, let's start with that though. And talk about like the start of these guys' career. Like what made Brian Adams get those big markets right off the bat? Like Corey Hart, I read, that he met Billy Joel and then yeah, Billy he, Joel hooked him up there and, and said, come on back over to London and we're going to get you these musicians and they're going to lay it down for you. Yeah. I guess yeah. he was 17 when that happened. So he, uh, he, he kind of made a demo tape and then slipped it to everyone in the band when he went to see him at some show or whatever. Yeah. And uh, I guess they called him up not too long after and, and brought him in there. So that was kind of cool. It was Absolutely. funny because I thought that it was like a, I, I kind of thought he sounded like Billy Joel, like definitely right off the bat, like yeah. And then when I went to read it later, it was literally like the first thing on his Wikipedia page, like after meeting Billy Joel, comma, and I'm like, no way, like yep. that's exactly who I was thinking about, right? Yeah, it's weird. The, for me, the the bigger surprise was the Eric Clapton connection. Yeah, yeah, that blew my mind too. On his first album, and Clapton's like, "Yeah, this is like stuff I would write. Let me let me do a solo on one of your songs." Did did you catch what song it was? Um, let's see here. Jenny something. Oh, that's like the last track on that album, I think. Yeah, Jenny Faye. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. pretty sure that's the last one on there. Yeah. Yeah, like how does how did he get him? Does it did anybody find that out? How does he get yeah. Eric Clapton just to show up? I wasn't able to see that. No, he recorded uh, at Revolution Recording Studios in Manchester. Yeah, and the guy who produced it was John Astley. Okay. Okay, uh, and I think Astley, uh, if you look him up, he's done a lot of interesting people, but he was like you know what, I think Clapton would really like some of this shit. And then just like I apparently let Eric listen to some and then like, yeah, uh, this is stuff that I like, sounds like stuff that I would write and I want to like contribute. Cool. That's yeah. It's that, that's like, it's, it's like that was Corey Hart's like, he just had this ability to like attract and impress the right people at the right time. Yeah, and you know what? I found more information about that John Astley too, who is not related to Rick Astley. For anybody <laughs> that wants to know that, I looked that up. So there's no connection there. Too bad, but yep, anyways. Yep. Um, but this cat is related to Pete Townsend. Okay. Oh yeah. Yeah, and he's produced everybody from like Zeppelin to Peter Gabriel to Judas Priest to like you name it. Like Dane said, right. like a million bands right and artists so 
yeah, this guy was pretty like well established, and Corey Hart was just like another one on there for him, I think. But uh, that helped. Very cool. Yeah. So if if he had not bumped into Billy Joel, yeah, do you think like none of this would have happened? Well, it was it, it was a little different too because he also uh, there was another interview I was I was watching here and he was talking about uh, there was a Paul Anka, huge huge singer dude in the '50s '60s and apparently he mentored uh, Corey Hart for a while there and got him connected to other people in the industry. So, you know, he it was he kind of pushed his way through, but he had a couple somewhat lucky introductions anyway. So. Yeah, yeah, those sound pretty good. Like, please introduce me to Billy Joel and yeah. a Canadian whatever crooner superstar, Paul Anka. Like, great. Yep. Like, if you have those yeah. connections, I guess go for it. But not only that, like, isn't he? Isn't Corey Hart a francophone? Uh, Montreal. Yeah, he's born in Montreal. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So, yep. I mean, I didn't know this. So he. Did he start off, and I probably should have done a little bit more research on this, but did he start off singing <laughs> French songs? Uh, that I was not able to find. So No, I just went right in the first offense, and that's yeah. all I can find that he's got. I don't see anything before that, but... Yep. Yeah. <clears throat> that I, guess, is... uh, I, guess, I guess rewind a second, though, is uh, what, what made you pick this as the, I guess, the first topic, Dane? Um, okay, so I'm probably going to like uh, age myself a little bit here. That's <laughs> all good. <laughs> I used to listen to a lot of Corey Hart back in the day. <laughs> back in back in 1985? Yeah. Uh, at, no, at, I, the, at the right, right age of five? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Although I do remember I had a friend named Corey, like, I think. And I was like, yeah. yo, man, you must really like Corey Hart because Corey Yes, yes, I do. Kind of, kind of like the uh, the Michael Bolton coll- uh, connection there. Oh yeah, Office Space. Office Space. Yeah, totally. <laughs> um, okay, so I was like on Twitter one night, and uh, just reading a bunch of bullshit. Basically, that's all Twitter, really. But yeah. Anyway, I enjoy it, and Brian Adams apparently got pissed off because he about to. On Twitter, and angry at the fact that he was able to do COVID and obviously all of the quarantine. Right, right. Yeah. And um, so he went off on a tangent. I guess he's been for a long time, like 30 years or so. Right. Um, and so he was really heated about the fact that people were eating bats. But he said it in a way which was very uh, offensive, okay, and great. and obviously he was angry and well known worldwide, and people got really angry. And so I was just reading sort of the comments about what he said, and some hashtags started trending. Uh, it was like hashtag Corey Hart's better, <laughs> <laughs> and so I was like, yeah, Corey Hart was awesome i remember like the video for sunglasses and night obviously yeah and it was like basically like 30 second shots of 
you know, like a camera, a, a top-down shot of him just like being his shoulders and like yeah, singing yeah. into the camera. Yeah. And that's all he did for the whole video, but he looks so badass doing it. <laughs> it was it was the spiked hair and the shades that did it. Yeah, he didn't have to like jump around and and you know, like Brian Adams up the neighbors and well there, there's just, there's quite a big difference between the two too because Brian Adams yeah. is definitely more the rock vein where Corey Hart for the most part he had a lot of rock stuff in it. Uh, yeah. you know, like great, great guitars, uh, tones, great guitarists, studio, you know, people. Well, yeah, and, like he had there this, were, there were sections. Yeah, totally. Yeah. This great band, you know, that like got, he got together. Like I did some, did you guys do any digging on this band that was backing him up on this uh, first no, album? I, I, I caught a couple little interviews, uh, mid eighties kind of deal, but. Okay. Okay. Let me, let me humor you for a couple seconds here on a couple yeah. of these guys. Cause I looked up the personnel. Cause as soon as I'm listening to this, I was like, this is like ridiculously sax heavy. Like this album, yes. like there's a lot of sax on here. I'm like, seriously, is Kenny G on this album? Like I've got to, <laughs> is he playing okay, on Okay. Sorry, Mike, who are you? You're talking about Corey I'm talking Hart. about Curry Hart. Yes. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. Okay. okay. And so, you're talking about the first album? The first offense first on the offense. mix. Okay. Yes. Okay. That's the one. So, yeah. Um, yeah. So I went, I'm like, okay, so it's not Kenny G, but <laughs> oddly enough, Kenny G did come out with his second album in 1983, the same year that Corey came out with his debut album. G Force, by the way, is the name of that album. Um, but, okay, so here, you guys will dig this. Okay. Andy Hamilton is the name of the guy who's playing saxophone on this Corey Hart album. Okay. Okay. This guy is a UK guy and um, he's played with like a whole bunch of different people. I thought the coolest one was he plays saxophone on Radiohead Kid A, that like nasty sax solo yeah, in the national the really anthem. Busy yeah. That's yeah. him, man. That's the same Wicked. guy as Corey Hart. Wicked. No way. Yeah. Really? Yeah, same thing. So, and I followed that wormhole down and I was like, where did you play on Kid A? Like, where are you on this album? And then it's like, you played tenor sax on the national anthem. And I'm like, oh, that's badass. Sweet. Like, that's, that sax solo is like so nasty. It's just, it's so good. Um, <laughs> you guys know the one I'm talking about, right? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. 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 Um, Sorry, I'm taking up lots of time on this, but I just found this stuff and I got to share it with you. Okay. No, let's do it. That's why we're yeah. here. Andy dig, dig, dig. Barnett, the guy who played guitar on this album. You can yep. hire this guy. Like, you can hire him on his website. Like, if you want him to play, like, your wedding or a gig or whatever. Boom. Straight up right session there on, player, man. Yeah. That's a huge thing around. Absolutely. And he's, like, older, obviously. Like, you know, mm -hmm. he is listed as a songwriter for Iron Maiden. Wicked. This guy, oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. And he also played in a band, follow me on this one, called Full Metal Racket with Roger Daltrey of The Who. What? John McEnroe, the tennis player. <laughs> and Steve Harris of Iron Maiden. Wicked. So I looked this up. What did play? They so I looked this up. They got a video on YouTube of them covering Led Zeppelin rock and roll with Roger Daltrey struggling through this song. Like he is <laughs> like having a rough go, 
it doesn't go well for him, I don't think. So, anyways, yeah, that was that was the two things on those guys that for the for the band. The rest of the guys were just kind of session players, but these guys went on to something else. But I thought those two connections were like cool. That is great. Yeah. yeah. Wow. What? <laughs> so so th- this sort of reminds me of like and like I'm gonna go off on tangent. So okay. yeah, um, so um, that sort of reminds me of like groups of the past, right? So we had like Velvet Revolver, who were like decent, right? They were all right. Remember I liked them? them. It was yeah, <laughs> bunch of bunch of slouches. Those guys. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We just listened um, to the to the ongoing history of new music one where they talked. He talked to Ian Thornley and talked about how Slash called him and sent him all the bed tracks and he went down to LA and rehearsed and was going to join Velvet Revolver. And oh yeah, they and they threw it out twice to him, two different yeah. occasions too. So. Yeah, before and after Scott came. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. anyways, yeah. Sorry, keep going. No, I just find it interesting how like some of these can be recipes for disaster or some of them can actually result of like and amazing like guys getting together and like normally you would think like they're all professionals and they should just sit down and figure it out but like sometimes it just doesn't work yeah definitely but that that's the thing i mean you with most of these you have to get the right session players in and what they do is uh the the producer will call in a list of say five or eight different guitar session players and drummers and bass players and and whatever and each guy will come in and they'll play their part. They'll listen to the song usually once through. And then it's like, okay, we record now. And you come up with what you come up with. Ten minutes later, okay, you're done. Get out. Next guy comes in. And these cats don't know if they're going to be on the album until it's released kind of thing. So Right, right. And that's that's a huge thing with most of these albums. And I think that was a big thing with Corey Hart because it's not like he had his high school band or he found these cats, right? Yeah. I'm pretty I'm pretty sure it was just all studio hires and uh yeah, I'm pretty sure it was all studio hires and for the most part it was the same thing on the road. A lot of the guys that were on the records uh were not actually on the road with him. Uh, I was doing a, a bit of digging here. There's a session guitar player I've been following for a couple of years now. His name is Tim Pierce and he's played on major major albums mostly guitar solos and stuff or helping with the writing process and there was a story that he was talking about where he he was hired to it was one of his first gigs to go on the road with Corey Hart for I'm pretty sure it was Man in the Box tour and he was telling this story of how he had never been I think he said it was New York he had never been there before so he flew out there and somehow he he got into either he he missed his ride and he ended up getting a cab and the cab took him to a completely different spot and he missed the gig. Like it was, it was the night of the show kind of thing and he didn't make it to the show. So <laughs> I, Corey Hart I just probably ripped that off himself. He just, Corey Hart could probably fill that part in for the night. That's the thing. He, he would have, it was, it was good that he was in New York cause he could probably phone any session player at that moment. Yeah. <laughs> And just have the best of the best next in line kind of thing. But I thought that was a pretty funny story. So, 
Well, it says Corey Hart played keyboards on this first album, and like I want to know if he plays the sunglasses hook. Like, is that his thing? Like, does he play that throughout the song, or is that somebody uh, else doing that? Yeah, that that'll be uh, that'll be a deep dig to find that out. But, Probably. Uh, I I mean, I have you guys ever seen Corey Hart in concert? No. no. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I, I i tried to find just some live stuff here on the on the youtubes and whatnot and nothing i could find with him playing it was all his session people he was running around doing his thing but uh yeah he's listed on some of the albums though as like playing instruments like he's at least the ones that i found huh yeah yeah i mean he's written music for other musicians so yeah, i would he's imagine and produced and yeah yeah exactly so i I don't know. I would imagine he did do it. I'm going to say he did. Mm-hmm. I would demand it if I was Corey Hart. <laughs> I would have to lay down that part every single time. I mean, how many, that guy must play that song every concert he's ever done in his life. So, I mean, well, the, the, the thing oh, yeah. with that is, is if he could get it done in the first take, yes, yeah. they'll use that. Other than that, they're going to bring in someone because it's cheaper <laughs> to get someone to do it the first time than yeah. wait for wait for Mr. Hart to, to do it eight times right, so. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is like super, okay, so like going back to uh, having these session musicians, I think you can see, so like going back to the whole like that Roger Daltrey was like trying to play something, what was it? And he's just like. Well, he was just trying miserably. to sing, man. He was trying to sing oh, just, rock okay. and roll Led Zeppelin. And I don't know, it was like, I think this is in the 80s. So like Roger Daltrey right. is already kind of like, done by that point right so and they started in the wrong key yeah it's it almost, was just yeah watch it check it out yeah <laughs> it's worth a watch because it's a little bit of a train wreck it's yeah. almost like a gimmick like yeah. you got to it's like you gotta watch it you gotta like watch the train wreck okay so i've got something for you here so yeah. had a final album with emi called bang Okay. I listened to that one yeah. yesterday. Okay, so it featured a drummer, Kenny Aronoff. I know that guy. Know he's in the name, yeah. He's in all the drumming magazines. Oh. Bald dude. Okay. okay, so Wikipedia told in brackets it says John Cougar Mellencamp, but I guess he played with John drums Cougar. for John. Okay, with. I thought John Cougar Mellencamp was playing drums for Corey Hart, and I was like, no, 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 no. <laughs> "Oh, that would have been awesome. That would have been fantastic." No, that Never guy's mind. like, yeah, <laughs> session player. Like he, he's on like, yeah, he was playing with it, like all these guys and plays in the studio all the time. He's like, yeah, one of the guys you call if you want uh, unbelievable okay. gotcha, drumming on gotcha. your album. Yeah, yeah. I was so. like, whoa, John Cougar Mellencamp on drums is probably really shitty, but. <laughs> amazing to see smoking the whole time on, <laughs> <smoking>. <laughs> there was a section on uh there's a netflix documentary called hired guns oh and yeah they yeah watch that they had uh, a section or hired gun it's called uh they had a section with him uh a focus on him and uh it was it was pretty cool how being the session player he had to he had to write a drum intro to what the hell was that song it's basically his most famous song i can't think of it right now off the top of my head but uh it it, it was kind of like a free form intro where he had to do it in one take and it was one of these things where if he didn't do it he was basically not going to be on the album 
they're going to get someone else to do it. So, and he was talking about how it was basically from one end of the studio drum room to the other. He had to figure out what he was going to do. It's like, okay, three steps. You only have to the two more steps. Okay, you have to do this. One, okay, you're sitting, ready, go. And they press play. And then he did that take. And that was the keeper. And that's what made that pretty well that album just by, I don't know if it's accident or something was channeled through him or whatever, yeah. but I thought that was pretty neat. Wow. I love hearing stories about things that are done in like one or two takes and then yep. it's it's pressed, like it's done, yep. right? Like I remember and it makes even, the song or makes the album. Yeah, yeah. Like I remember yeah. hearing not even that long ago that it supposedly Kurt Cobain recorded all the in utero uh, uh, lyrics and the vocals in one night. Just that like one me. night ripped it all off, just like whatever he did and then hit record, let's go. <laughs> well that that doesn't really seem like a multiple take album and they didn't do Ooh. a lot of you know overdubs and backtracks it was just so raw with uh with uh steve albini there so yeah right yeah so he probably yeah. just pushed it through real quick and then that was the rawness he was looking for because you look at uh, albini and he's very much uh um, stripped down punk old school punk oriented, you know, straightforward type deal. So that would be uh, definitely uh, along the, the lane there. So Yeah, totally. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess the question is then why did Brian Adams absolutely explode and Corey Hart just kind of plateaued have, and then dropped off? What do you guys I think have, that's I the have reason? I have the answer. I have the answer. So <laughs> Brian Adams... If you if you look at all of his albums, well, even just the the first three, yeah, all the songs, well, the first four for the most part. You look at self titled Brian Adams in eighty, was the the songs were there, but the the production wasn't there. But you can tell the seed was planted, and then you get into uh, you want it, you got it, and it's it it has the hits. It's like hit after hit, and they're rockers and that's what it is and then you look at cuts like a knife and it's it's damn near perfect from song to song i mean even if you're not a brian adams fan or you know you don't you you care for the rock genre but you're not totally down with him there's not a lot of songs on there that i would ever skip if i got into that i had to listen to brian adams today kind of deal and then you look at 84 for reckless and it's it's perfect like every song is a hit and then you go to Corey Hart, who's, you know, a, a great vocalist. He's a great lyricist. Um, but you look at his his first, well, let's say his first four albums. Uh, you know, you go uh, First Offense and Boy in the Box. You can tell that production side and writing side, not necessarily his performance, but the, the producer and how the songs were arranged and written around them were very 19, early 1983. Like it's, it's so set in that date. Yeah. And, and, and I went into his, his more recent albums and it seems like he continued in that pocket of 1983, 1985. Like he didn't really evolve past 85. Yeah. I think that sound was, it was sort of like 
the quintessential early early eighties sound, exactly. right? Exactly. Oh yeah, I had written, stayed with it. I had written down that it sounded a little bit like like nineteen eighties movie credit music. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, like when you're walking out of the theater at the end of a John Hughes movie, and this song's playing, and it sounds like that fits exactly. You know? Exactly, but like, there, there's solid songs on the first two albums. Not even just talking sunglasses, but uh, uh, like when you when you look at his songs are interesting because a lot of them have a really catchy verse, but not a catchy chorus, which seems to be very in reverse of most hit songs. Yeah, I, I find that those are the parts that I remember more than the other parts. I thought that out, like both actually, both Brian Adams and Corey Hart, I thought that both of the debut albums were kind of all over the place. Like, it it feels like they had like everything on that album. Like Corey Hart had like Latin, he had a power ballads, he had a synth yep. pop hit, he had everything on there. And same kind of thing with Brian Adams, that first debut album I listened to it, it's got like jazz on it, it's got like... It rock. It's got a little bit of country in there. There's yep. uh, like almost a disco song. I don't know if you guys heard that song tucked in the back right. half of that album. Like it's everywhere. Like it's just kind of a little bit of everything, right? So, and I right. thought that Corey Hart, even on that first album, he almost sounds different in every single song. Like his vocal stylings or his like approach to each song. I, I think like, it was the production because it. Yeah, a lot of that might have been done in different studios, maybe. Like, cause you can tell that there is, there's a difference in the recording of them as well. So, yeah, yeah, but, but, uh, but yeah, yeah, I mean, but even with Brian Adams, at least even from the first to now, it's always been very stripped down rock. Like it can sit in with any big Americana arena band. Right. So. Well, then where, in, where Corey Hart dang, really couldn't, yeah. it was like eighties pop for the most part with rock in it. Yeah. yeah, and Dane, you were talking about waking up the neighbors because I went there. I hadn't been back to that album in a long time, and I listened to yeah. it again. And like, I didn't really know. It's kind of funny because I was like, "Man, like this sounds like it's got Mutt Lang on it. Like it sounds like it's got the yeah. Mutt Lang stink on it a little bit, right?" So then I'm like, "This sounds kind of like Def Leppard. Like there's a lot of whoa's, <laughs> like a but lot you know of what." It's really interesting that you said that because that waking up the neighbors, uh, that reached number one in like a bunch of European countries as well, right? Oh yeah. So well, you remember how huge that album weeks. was when we were in, when we were kids. That that album was like massive. Oh yeah, it was massive, and so I think he was able to sort of like break that market in Europe. Yeah. And that's something that I don't know if Corey Hart really did, right? Like Brian Adams, I remember at one point he did like a, a duet with like Scary Spice. And it was like, what the hell's going on? Like that was in like the late 90s, I think. Yeah, and Corey was, Hart was like 50 yeah. by then. <laughs> yeah. But like Brian Adams is super popular over in the UK. I think he's been living there for a long time but like that waking up the neighbors album is what sort of like broke him in europe and i think that's why he had that longevity that like cory hart didn't yeah and like i think as far as i know cory hart like had a bunch of kids and like sort of like retired and 
nine or something like that. Yeah, yeah he was but saying like, he shut things down. He had three kids or whatever, and he didn't want yeah. to, uh, to be away from them and be an absent father, which is cool, but... Right. Um, I, I, I just figure for the most part, when that happened, his career was... I don't know. He, he, he was on the same trajectory for a long-ass time. Once he hit that one big plateau, he never really evolved past that. Uh, yeah. Once again, still a brilliant... <laughs> amazing vocalist and great lyricist, but the energy of his music was not the same where Brian Adams was rock and, and Corey Hart was very pop. He had just too many chill songs to, to really get people excited for the most part, unless you were like a pop style fan. So, yeah, I know those, those that Brian Adams stuff is like arena rock, like mm-hmm. to the core, like there's so much that he wants the crowd to sing along with in those. It's just like <laughs> built tailor made for it, right? Like, well, every song on every song on Reckless was a a, a banger, and yeah, like it, it's just solid. Even cuts like a knife had hit after hit, and that's the biggest thing is just the consistent hits. Well, did you guys see who produced this album, these albums, and who was his songwriting partner? Did you get that? Yeah, yeah, crazy, right? So yeah. that's an interesting, there's a full circle for you right there. So that's like two degrees separation from uh, a band that the three of us used to call Thing Not Think, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. Am I? <laughs> Absolutely, yeah, that's where we're going with that, yes. So okay. yeah, this James Valance, that's the guy, right? He was yeah. the drummer for Prism, the original drummer for Prism, so... Yes, that at the Chester Mirror, Chester Mirror uh, Wakeboard Championship or Festival or whatever you want to call it, right before the storm of the century blew in, uh, yeah, the three of us plus our old singer, yeah, opened up for Prism. So that's the two degrees of separation to that. So, yeah, on the same go. stage, yeah, absolutely. Um, but yeah, that's the guy that kind of was with him through the whole thing and then the whole thing yeah yeah i never knew that which is crazy and then gets hooked up with mutt lang and mutt lang starts writing shit with him too right like yeah which is what he does i think he writes the majority of these albums that he works on right shania twain and stuff like that that's right but yeah so yeah that long and then and the previous uh uh Brian Adams band did you guys catch that too the band he was in prior to being Brian Adams yeah did you see did you catch that Mike yeah Sweeney Todd no, no. he was in a band called Sweeney Todd and he was 15 years old huh. and then they poached him basically and said you better you gotta come out here you're gonna do your own stuff and so he was like 20 years old when he cut that first album sweet yeah you know what's so funny about Sweeney Todd uh, we were just driving around one day listening to the radio and Roxy Roller came on. Yeah. Right? So that's like, I think, their biggest hit. First of all, I thought that was a woman's. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, the, first, the first 20 times of hearing it and then you kind of pick up on it. but Yeah, and whatever. It doesn't matter to me. But nope, so nope. My, my whole perception changed on that song. But then we started thinking like, what the fuck, what, what are they saying? What is this Roxy Roller? And like, why is it like, what is up with this song? And so just like researched a little bit and it's all about like 
the indoor roller skating culture of like the late seventies. No way. And like, yeah, it was. So anyway, I mean, obviously it was probably like, you know, a great song to listen to while you're skating around in the seventies doing whatever you do seventies. But, um, <laughs> it's funny because then we got, you know, this project to take a look at, at Brian Adams and there he, there he is like, was the original singer for this band or was he just like in there? I think he was just playing guitar, like just hacking it, being a 15 year old. Just, just being a 15 year old. Yeah. 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 And then he gets like set up in his like apartment or something in Vancouver and sets up this like home studio and starts recording this album when he's like 20 years old in 1980 or when in 79, whenever he started recording it. Yeah. It's funny you were talking about like, that like realization about like songs like that it's a female male singer your like, perception is totally blown you're like but yeah for i've listened to that song since i'm sure i was a little kid right yeah like, it happened to me lately i think i uh, maybe told mike but i was listening to uh the grateful dead casey jones yep so oh, yeah i was like i had always thought that the chorus was um uh, what, what is it now? So what's the first part? Uh, driving, driving that train. High out cocaine. Okay, I thought it was out of cocaine. Yes, yeah, so oh no, man, Never. it's high on cocaine. Never. So you're not yep. out of cocaine. You're driving the train high on cocaine. Yep. Oh, so I, I was, was like, of... yeah, <laughs> my whole life. Casey ever Jones, you better watch your speed. Watch your speed. That's the song. Yeah. Yeah, yep. yeah, I was just I, my buddy was helping me lift blocks when we were moving and he was singing the song when we had it on. And I was like, wait a second. Like, what did you just sing? He's like, <laughs> high on cocaine. And I'm like, what? Go back. Like, play that again. So that, that, that's happened to me. Yeah. Well, at least, at least it was a, a lot closer than than most people get with lyrics like that. When you look at uh, Hold Me Closer, Tony Danza. Yeah. <laughs> somebody told me that once and i'll never listen to tiny dancer the same way ever again <laughs> yeah it wrecks you it wrecks you yep um well i thought it uh, i thought it was cool a couple of years ago what was it maybe was it last summer last summer maybe the summer before yeah. uh went down to calgary to the bell studio or studio bell that big uh, music museum yeah, it's great. Yeah, when I went down there, they had a uh, a Corey Hart exhibition. They had just started it, and uh, yeah, it was kind of cool. We'd go in there, they had some guitars and stuff, and they had uh, the sunglasses, and so that was, that was kind of kind of cool seeing these beat up old sunglasses sitting in this glass uh, glass safety container, and <laughs> yeah, and you know what? It's kind of funny, like around that time too like it wasn't when you think about like what canadian music had during that time before those guys showed up like it was like rush and Anne marie and stomp and tom yeah stomp and tom and like oh, god bless them up, like that's up. great yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> i'll I'll save, this, I'll save this for the top 10 albums but there was take a look at punk music yeah. oh definitely yeah so there was on the radio i totally but I think, like, in the pubs and community halls, yes. there was a whole other uh, 
know, bunch of Canadians that were making ass. Totally. Yeah, definitely. Yes. But yes. it just anyway, wasn't standing out. No. And it was maybe maybe just that type of music wasn't appreciated or it just wasn't as you know, people wasn't received well here in Canada as say US or or England or something like that, but yeah, I think it's just the timing of that too, right? Like, yeah. I mean, you even think about it, like, you know, even with our band, like if we would have started, if we were 22 or 20 years old right now and tried doing that, we probably wouldn't have maybe gotten as far or did as well as we did based on that, right? Like, I think that it was just the timing of it all. And it was like that scene that was kind of like that whole can rock thing was still going on. And like, we were kind of catching that wave a little bit. And there was a scene in Edmonton that was thriving and had a big following. And I think that that all made, you know, the whole ride fun. Cause it was just, yeah, yeah. you know, yeah, it's always somewhere to play. And yeah, yeah. I don't know. I just think that bands starting out today have it harder, you know, with, with all of that, well, it's but, a very it, no. it's a very different angle though because now you've got social media and you've got YouTube and you've got live streams and you know you got Instagram and Instagram Live. I mean, kids today, it's you, you know when we're playing to a pool of you know you're you're lucky to reach a thousand or two thousand people. They could reach ten million. You know the potential is there to reach X amount of million within weeks. Yeah. If, yeah. if you hit the right wave or you you know something goes viral or you know, so there, there, there's definitely more bands because it's so much easier to do it from home, and you don't have to book studio time. I mean, all you're paying for now is mixing for the most part, and uh, mixing and mastering. Other than that, it's you can do whatever you want, and if you take over all your own self promotion and and you know, it's it's the whole DIY get your get your shit out, just like the you know the the DC punk bands and and you know. The, yeah. the SoCal punk bands and you got out and you flyered and you did everything you could to push. And it's the same thing now where if you want to put in the work online, you can make a, a big splash. So I think most definitely. And I think this is like a really good, good point because I've been th- kind of thinking about this for a while now. And like, I remember being a kid and thinking like, you know, if I could have every single CD I wanted, that would be an amazing thing. And now that is yeah. totally possible and yeah. I can't choose friggin' five CDs, right? Too many options. And it's, there's so much content and there's so much talent out there that the other day I was watching, um, I don't know if it was Kerrang magazine or some kind of metal, uh, like thing on YouTube. Yeah. And they were doing like, um, basically the top albums of, of, uh, 2019 and there's so many genres and subgenres of metal i have no idea what's even going on yeah it's unreal you know like i i feel like okay there's some stuff i like and if i like it i like it and that's the only sort of way i can navigate all this stuff because it's yeah, just yeah. like it's incredible how much you know like i i uh, i gave you guys i think uh, a link to Rivers of the Nile. Yeah, yeah, yep, yeah. And they got a fucking yeah. saxophone in there. Well, it's you cool. Know, I like, mean, I, I, there's a lot maybe of metal it's bands that guy. doing that right now. Yeah, maybe, it's just, <laughs> maybe it's that guy. Maybe it's uh, what's his name again? 
Andy Hamilton? Andy <laughs> Hamilton. Yeah, yeah. It's that guy. I don't know. 70-year-old guy on stage with some 20-year-old 20, 20 metalheads. Yeah, well, that's I think, that. That's too. I mean, like, a couple of years back, I saw a band called Monuments, and their singer pulled out this alto sax halfway through and just ripped it. Yeah, and you almost need that right now to stand out. Is all I'm Definitely. trying to say. It's Definitely. Like, you know, back in the day, had you know, uh, there was probably about four or five other bands that like play with, and sort of had our own kind of following. It all stood out in our own individual way, but there wasn't a lot of like stuff for us. There wasn't a lot of bands that were kind of diluting the, the pool. Right. I just think it's really hard. Now, if you're a young band, you've got to be the fucking hardest out there or you know, saxophone. You got to well, do something in order to stand out. Cause it's just the, like, the big thing is the hustle, man. You gotta, you gotta yeah. push harder and work harder and you have to have that hook and you have to, have that one thing, you know, they always say cream rises or whatever, but uh, you, you still have to push it just to get your voice heard. Yeah. 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 Cause it feels like it's just a little bit of white noise at this stage, right? Like coming out with something, it's just a little bit, I don't know, but like it felt like it was different back then, but you're, but you're right, Mike, like you, we were not able to reach, that big of an audience right like the internet was just kind of like getting a web page was just starting out then so it was like and you know that was a struggle yeah right and you had to pay for it and it was like you had to update yeah. it yourself and it was yeah brutal but you know mm -hmm. it's just yeah it's just a different you know it, it'd be interesting to see like if that was today like you know how many would how many would you get like how many people would you get interested with your stuff at that point right Right. And a lot of the time it's like flipping a coin too. When you go into, uh, you know, throwing blindly throwing darts is when you go into Spotify and you, I'll go to the metal section there and I'll just start scrolling up and just randomly clicking on things. Cause you know, with, without, uh, websites like, uh, metal sucks or metal injection or, you know, that sort of a thing telling you, you know, here's the, the reviews on, you know, whatever 10 20 albums are coming out this week and having the time to sit through those uh you don't really know so you just kind of grab and go and hopefully something's decent i mean i remember going you know way back when we were young and you were not able to listen to these albums before you bought them so you're going through and picking out whatever had the coolest album cover yeah you know what what had the craziest album cover and that's the one i'm buying you know, I'm going to throw my 20, 15, 20 bucks or whatever the hell it was and invest in this. And quite, you know, sometimes it was total shite and other times it was, you know, you found gold that stuck with you. But I mean, it's just. Well, and I think yeah, it's just different, so right? Like based on how we get this, like when we were kids, we would watch much music and you would get yep. some ideas from there or you would get ideas from your friends that had something or whatever or you're. That's the on call or it. whatever. Yeah, right. Like that's how it all went down. But now it feels like you don't have that anymore. So like where and I don't listen to the radio, so I don't know about any concerts really. So it's like, right. Unless you seek it out, like it's really it, it's exhausting. Like it sounds again, cliche, like first world problem. But you're right. Like you've got every CD ever at your disposal. And I can't find anything. It's like walking through Blockbuster and after all the good movies are gone and you're like, well. <laughs> <laughs> there were, there, there, were pro, 
there there were pros and cons to having the uh, the musical gate industry gatekeepers. You know, they they kept a lot of good bands out, but they also got you to it narrowed down your options to a point. So, well, that's probably what happened. Going back to Brian Adams, <coughs> excuse me, that's probably what happened to him is because his all these videos started like flooding into much music, right? Like how many times have you seen the summer 69 video, right? Like a billion, like yep. all yep. those, yep. all those ones that he was doing everything I do. I do it for you. Like that video, yep. all yep. those, right? Like, yeah. Yeah. I think that yeah, helps. It's still, it still comes down between the two. It's, it's the songs. So, not not that Corey Hart's bad <coughs> songs. They just were not they were not catching the the masses, I guess, in a way, you know. Mo- most of Colin James fans there it, it's rock out, have fun kind of a deal for the most part. I mean there's ballads and, and shit there, but I think that's that that's where the, the separation was. That was the later half of the eighties and going into like the nineties. It was about mm-hmm. You know, rock and roll, and then sort of like, you know, then then kind of metal hit the scene, and this these sort of synth pop, more kind of sophisticated music, really wasn't selling. wasn't selling beers. wasn't right. Right. You know, you weren't going to concerts to feel nice and 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 fashionable in eighties. It was about like having fun. I remember this because I had uncles that were like right in their 20s around this time right and this is like the stuff that they were listening to and maybe a little bit more you know less poppy than brian adams but it was definitely like that last half of the decade about like rock and roll yeah and sort of you know synth pop had had its day and and it was dated it was over well another big thing too with with brian adams is i mean he's he was in that lane where he could open for a, a, a Bruce Springsteen or, a, yes. you know, yeah. somebody that was massive in that Americana rock genre and, and, you know, catch a bigger wave with that. So, yeah. you know, he just fit into more, more lanes or, or yeah, he, ju- he just fit into a, a more mainstream catch on if you can open for them or, you know, anyone in that spot. So. It's funny because like the Corey Hart stuff kind of eventually went to like the adult contemporary side, right? Like what you started always was, except for a couple songs. Well, it's funny because like he's got this like bad boy image, right? Like on the first offense, like this is the first (laughs) time I I, I'm going to offend, which means I'm going to do it again, right? Like I'm so bad that this is the first time. But and by album three or four, it's no offense. Yeah, like, but you <laughs> I'm know, sorry, I'm sorry. Yeah, and it kind of looks like Kevin Bacon on the front of that album cover too. And I had to do a double take, make sure it wasn't <laughs> a stand-in on there. But um, yeah, I don't know. Like, yeah, it, 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 they have that bad boy image, and then I think it just kind of he tries that bad boy image a little bit in the second one, and then it kind of starts fading out to like who he maybe really is. Because yeah. it feels like that was like, okay, Corey, like, here's what we're going to do. We're going to make you look badass and like you got a bad attitude and, you know, yeah. you love all the women and everything. And that's how we're yeah. going to do it, right? A little but, more lock and load. 
Yeah, I don't know. It kind of felt like that. It felt a little bit like contrived, a little bit that image that like they wanted. And even you were talking about the you know sunglasses video. It's just like him looking all tough, wearing the leather jacket and the glasses, and like you said, moving his shoulders. Right, that's basically all he's doing. But you yeah. know, and that thing won a Juno too for best you know video. But I mean, what's it up against at that point? Right, like right, not not a lot, but. Yeah, so I think that, yeah, just it kind of went in that adult contemporary. But, I mean, at the same time, Brian Adams would be played on the Easy Rock station here all the time too, right? Like both of these guys, I yeah. think, would make it on there depending on, you know, Brian Adams has got a little bit of something for everybody, I think. It's like, you know, if you like country rockabilly kind of stuff, he's got a little bit of that. If you like the, the arena rock, he's got that. If you like the... You know, have you ever really loved a woman kind of stuff for the ladies? He's got that. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, he's just, he's cooking yeah. up a little bit of something for everybody. And that's, it feels like that's what's led him to success. And, you know, still be valid. And, you know, right. for him to say something about, you know, eating bats and still to make a, a wave in today's society means he had a big impact still, I think. Right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, whether you like it or not, I guess. Yeah. yeah. Yep. I've never seen that guy in concert either, though. I was wondering that, Mike. I was like, I think one of us. Um, I was like, yeah, I bet you, Mike has even met him. No, but you haven't. <laughs> no, no. Because you met a lot of you met a lot of dude, especially working at. What was oh, it? Yeah, yeah. Just for music, no, what was the music world? Yeah. The world. Yeah, I used to get all the free concert tickets and all the backstage stuff and yeah, that was uh definitely a perk to that. It was anytime anybody wasn't using the tickets, I was like bring them to me. Going to university, it was awesome. There's lots of stuff actually, so hey, and did you know that Corey Corey Hart is sober? <laughs> Did you read that? that Maybe this makes it all makes it all make sense. I don't know, but he he's always been sober. Always been sober. (laughs) Never done a drug in his life. Never none of that. Yeah, he said he's taken like three sips of beer in his entire life. Yep. Can you imagine that? For him. Yeah, but like that's just crazy. Like when you think about that, can you imagine not ever drinking beer? Like unreal. Oh, especially when he was blowing up and. Friggin' 85. Oh, he said that there was just like, he said that on, right across the console when he was recording, yeah, blow everywhere. Fans, just rails, just nothing yeah, but yeah. rails. And he was like, no way, man. I'm not doing that. <laughs> who, 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 can, who can go farthest down the, uh, down the mixing board? And <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, and you know Nuts. what? Like, he, he had like, you know, he had a second hit with the, in the second album too, right? Like, he didn't just kind of, one hit wonder it like at least he had he had uh, solid songs yeah never surrender was the next one there and then you know then he was kind of plateau yeah yeah but then he started writing for uh, he wrote a bunch for celine dion and did a bunch of that stuff and so he he got into like the writing production side i mean there's still a lot of money in that so so you can see you can say he was just smart he was just sort of like he understood the beast and he didn't wind up like 90% of people who had a hit record in the 80s no he didn't have the the drive to have the ego to have the 
the superstar. He, you know, he hit that that peak, and he was like, "Ah, I'm good." Yeah, and there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, like it is super rare when you hear a story like that. It's commendable. Yep. Yeah, it's good. It's good. It's. (laughs) I mean, I'll I'll be honest. I mean, if you asked me if I'd rather be Corey Hart or Brian Adams right now, I'd probably tell you Brian Adams just because. Yep. Really. (laughs) I don't yep. know. I I think that guy had a lot of fun tours, like back in the day. Like I want to have be, a lot more stories. Yeah, like I want to be on the Waking Up the Neighbors tour. I want to be playing on that one. Like that bitch, that was a good time. Do you, as a fifty-seven-year-old, fucking has been angry? I don't know. <laughs> let's let's put it this way. I mean, like Corey Hart, he did it the way he did it. He still wound up with uh, a record label in the end. Uh, tons of recognition. Yeah, tons of Juno nominations. It's all, yeah. He's got a wife and a family, and he's kicking it in the Bahamas right now. Sounds all right to me. Yeah, no, I'm not going to like that. Griping because he didn't get to play the fucking Windspear in Edmonton. (laughs) (laughs) Like. Yeah. I'm just speaking monetarily. I'm just speaking monetarily. (laughs) Yeah. That's all. I mean, my, my guess is that Brian Abs has a couple more bucks than Corey Hart. Not that there's anything wrong with having less money. I'm just, and I'm not knocking that. Fantastic. I still think Brian Adams would be a lot more fun to play a, sh- a gig with. Okay. Yeah, yeah. One gig, get up there, rock it out. You know, you're you're gonna you're gonna play the hits and you're gonna have a blast. And but if Corey Hart got up yeah. there and started playing the hook to sunglasses on his keyboard, you would be fucking fired up too. I bet you. Oh, I'd be I'd be in there for that song definitely. <laughs> but yeah, I'll, I'll do I'll do all the guitar solos on that album. I'll I'll rip those up real good. But uh, other than yeah. that, I'll just stand back and wait for a fun part to hit. Yeah. Well, <laughs> if you don't have a sax player, good luck trying to recreate that album because yeah, like I said, it's hard on the sax. Uh, you just I'll, I'll just learn all the uh, all the parts on guitar and then run it through MIDI and have a uh, a MIDI sax sound coming out of it, and we're done. <laughs> That's all you need. Yep. Well, I guess we should uh, start to gear this one down a little bit, but uh, let's. Uh, what What are our thoughts on? I guess do do we want to do like a favorite album of eighty three, the uh, you know the debut year of Corey Hart's first offense. That's a good one. I gotta grab a beer though for that. Yeah, definitely do it. Okay. Let's put that. On, let's put it on pause. Okay. Okay, I had a little bit of, um, I wasn't sure how to, uh, doesn't I matter sure genre, it doesn't matter anything. Because, yep. um, I don't necessarily remember 83, but I remember a lot of the albums that came out of that year. And I remember yep. as a kid, there yep. was a couple that I was like, whoa. And like, some of them really changed, like, as far as like what I thought was good music. Uh, Probably the only, yep. probably the first like real music that I had, you know, ever listened to, and um, but then there's like now um, yep. that I look back at eight, you know, 1983 and some of the albums that came out and like and there's a ton, obviously it's a ton of albums right? in 1983, so, like overall when you look at the sure. list, yeah, just wild, Definitely. yeah. Oh man, it's crazy. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, yeah. What a year. Yep. Yep. So I I remember being. A kid, and I is probably being 
you know, a five or six year old driving around in my dad's car and my dad had um, Def Leppard Pyromania. And I remember, first yeah. of all, I remember the cover of that album and thinking like, what the fuck is going on? It's like, um, <laughs> it looks like some sort of like skyscraper and there's like an explosion yeah. of fire coming under the sun. Yeah. The target. Yeah, like, like the, the gun Super aggressive and like, yeah, whoa, yeah. this is dangerous. <laughs> this is like, this is bad music, but I like it. And... I just remember like listening to it yeah. and it was like, even, I don't know if it was the beginning of the album or the end of the album had this guy like striking a match and <laughs> laughing. And I was like, this is real. This is, this is crazy. <laughs> and it was sort of before, yeah. um, Def Leppard became this kind of like poppy, whatever, um, selling a bunch of, you know, yeah. you know I remember they had like, uh, Kokanee sort of like, go to a cabin in the woods yeah, yeah, and Def Leppard would come and play. And like, I think they got booed. This was like <laughs> at the very end of their career yep. and not so great, but like pyromania, I remember <laughs> like the teenagers across the street from me listening and having a party and listening to it. And I thought it was so bad, but like, w- like I was so infatuated with this like edgy kind of metal, yep. but like palatable rock and roll. You know, I really, mm-hmm. I think out of all of them, as a kid, you know, Def Leppard. And, you know, even now I go back to it, I'm like, some of this shit's, like, pretty good. It's a distinctive sound. It's tight. Yep. And, you know, if you're going on a road trip and the sun's shining and you're on the highway, I'm not embarrassed to that. I'll yep. listen to them. Nothing wrong with that. There's nothing um, wrong with that. But yep. in all honesty, when I took a look yep. at that and, like, um, David Bowie, let's dance, right? And like yep, that, that album is just yep. to me like I. Everyone loves David Bowie, and I think a lot of people re- focus on Stardust, all of that great music. But like, mm-hmm. let's dance. This sort of like turning point for him, being a lot more cocaine, but like yep. changed his persona. And started making like, um, I don't know if it was like more of a sort of minimal approach to like his. It was like recipe. Yeah, it was, it was like almost like, like uh, David Bowie's refined. response to the eighties. More refined, right? I like, think is. It was kind of like that. Yeah. 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 And and definitely definitely more groovy and. And showed that that he was like versatile, right? He do other things and could still be, you know, David Bowie, but a different kind of David Bowie that people loved. And um, I remember my parents had that tape as well, and I thought it was I thought it was funny. (laughs) I didn't get it, but you know, (laughs) yeah. uh, Now I can listen to any song on that and just be like, you know, from the music production to like the lyrics and. To me, well, and it was super dope too that they had uh, Steve Ray Vaughan as you know the right? main guitar player on a lot of that stuff. So it kind of brought another yeah, it another was like Americana. Things, it, cool, it's so. sort of just kind of David Bowie, kind of like okay, here I am yeah. in the states, and I'm like embracing this kind of 
crazy. Well, and I, just, I don't want to, I don't want to step on your toes there, Mike. Yeah, maybe, yeah. maybe that's in there. Yeah. But Stevie Ray Vaughan, Texas Flood came out in 1983 too, and that is like on. It was up there for me. It's like in my top three for 1983 albums, but it didn't yes, make it, it to did. number one. Yeah. But that is, if you're going to listen to any Stevie Ray Vaughan to start yourself off, I think Texas Flood is a fantastic album to start with. Yeah, in the canon. Yeah. Oh, definitely. And I, I was brought up on so much of that stuff. And I mean, you look at Steve Ray Vaughan and Eddie Van Halen and Jimmy Page were probably the three main yeah. cats that yeah. got me interested and hooked on playing guitar. So, no, you know, you, and I you think too, that, Dane would probably agree with me. One of the, the loudest shows so. that ever has been experienced is the Double Trouble with Big Sugar show at Reds. Like I have never Holy been, my ears have never been destroyed fuck. like that in my life. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Anyways, yeah, that was yep. that was crazy. Takes me back to that. that was Sorry, Mike. Go ahead. You, yeah. Let's hear your uh, your album of '83. Yeah. Okay, well, it's uh, it's it's very hard to narrow down for me. I came up in a hard rock metal household, so that stitch in time was was quite massive for for that. You know what I was listening to then, and what my my folks were listening to. I mean, my my pops was, you know, he raised me on Led Zeppelin and Deep Purple and Black Sabbath and and all of that. So it was the soundtrack in the background to, you know, from you know birth in 80 to you know understanding what music was and on till now but i mean just looking at uh you know there's there's so many great things i mean you look at dio holy diver you look at uh motley crew shot at the devil you got bark at the moon ozzy which was which was unreal and i mean ozzy was my first concert so that was that was kind of a a huge thing for me and then you look at you know there's a lot of the blues side i was brought up with like you know, blues rock stuff. Uh, you look at ZZ Top Eliminator, stuff like that. Texas Flood as well. Um, but I guess it, it, the way I came at it was not, I guess, what I was in, partially what I was influenced as a child, but now looking back at what I know from what has changed me as a musician and brought me into the genre. That was going to be I'm my pick for you. Now. I guess the album I would have to pick would be uh, that was Metallica my Price Is Right choice for you. <laughs> that would that that was yeah yeah yeah. <laughs> I mean it's that's the thing you uh, you you got that one. I mean it's it's solid front to back. It was it was you know completely life changing at its you know for for the genre. Without that, you wouldn't have so many levels of metal we know good today. choice so Two, yeah, three good choices that's, that's so far yeah my, uh, my number one um, pick of 83 so mine kind of goes in later in life yeah yeah so if you guys are kind of going back to 83 mine's like a late find in my life and uh i think i've shared this both yep. with you but uh my 1983 pick is uh the talking heads speaking in tongues that's 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 Oh man, I I found out about them late, nice. and I yeah, started listening to this album late, so. like nonstop. Like it was, I couldn't get it off. Like I just was listening to it all the time, and like even when I was moving, I was moving. So like 
between houses, I just have that album on going all the time, like nonstop, right? So it was funny because I don't know if you guys have got this before, but like I was at work one day and yep. I open up, like I, I I was listening to like something in the morning when I get to get into work and open up Spotify and it says, congratulations, you're one of the top 1% fans of the Talking Heads in the entire in the entire world. So I was like, whoa, like I've been listening to the Talking Heads for this whole time. So anyways, I, yeah, yeah, just the hardcore, right? So I listened to this and then, yeah, I, I went into Super fan. Uh, Stop Making Sense, which was like their concert video that they made based off of this album. And it's like, as a concert, like, like video or DVD or whatever you want to call it, like just brilliant just brilliant like starting the entire show off with like absolutely nothing but like a stripped down guitar and vocals and then they just like slowly add song by song more to the band and by like song five everybody's on stage and it's just like you know full of background singers and like the horn section and david burns wearing the gigantic suit and is doing all the like crazy dancing to the songs and it's just like I couldn't get my eyes off of him, man. Like he was just like a, as a front man and as a guy like that, like yeah, yeah, it was kind of mesmerizing. So, uh, yeah, that's my pick for 1983. Like I said, I kind of came into it late, but um, Talking Heads, uh, speaking in tongues, is my pick. Yeah. All right. Well, I guess on that note, we'll, we'll shut this down for an episode. And looks like that was a good one. So we'll probably come back with another. And- Thanks for coming out. Cheers.